It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply. This is the Pixar Sciatica Podcast. Let's talk about primary care, your primary care doctors, but then also let's take a deep dive into direct primary care. This is, I know, a growing field uh, in regards to medical care, and I've discovered it throughout my journey in the LinkedIn world. And so rather than me just trying to figure out what direct primary care is and how primary care can help you with your health, I thought I would meet up and interview the experts. So today I have Dr. Michelle Cook, who uh, is a physician based out of Atlanta and is a direct primary care physician. So Dr. Cook, thank you so much for being on today's episode. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here and glad that we're talking about, honestly, my favorite topic. Yeah, and it's great. I, I always love when it comes to interviewing people who are very passionate about what they do. That way it allows us to get an opportunity to take a deep dive into the profession and the various different ways that you can help people. So before we dive into what primary care is, Dr. Cook, could you tell us a little bit more about yourself and the journey to where you're at today? Certainly, certainly. Well, I live in Atlanta. It's been my home for just about 20 years now, although I come from Boston, I came down here to go to school. I went to Spelman College and I crossed the street and went to Morehouse School of Medicine. They're in the same consortium. And I trained at the Atlanta Medical Center in family medicine. Um, so when I was in medical school, I decided I wanted to be a family physician. I wanted to have relationships with my patients throughout their lifetime, see people of all ages and, and really get to enjoy that doctor-patient relationship that's so sacred. Um, trained in Atlanta, and I worked in insurance-based healthcare for nearly 10 years before kind of it feels like catastrophe hit. So here in Atlanta, we had a hospital or a hospital system that closed two hospitals in the community that I was working. But more than just closing the two hospitals, they also shut down multiple outpatient primary care clinics. And so this huge community is left with a lack of care. Simultaneously, I was experiencing, unfortunately, what most physicians are experiencing, which is burnout. I love what I do. I'm afraid that I love what I do, but I hated the way I was doing it. I hated having too many patients per, to see per day, not enough time to spend with them. I couldn't really have high quality engagement. It took forever for people to come in to see me. And I was just burdened with tons of paperwork. So it felt like this endless wheel where I wasn't really getting anywhere. So when the system around me literally collapsed, it was a sign to me that we have to practice healthcare differently. All the while I had been watching the direct primary care movement, but just never felt brave enough to jump into it. I felt like I was trained to be a physician. I was not trained to be a business person and running an office and all of that stuff just seemed too scary to me. But honestly, what was too scary was dealing with the insurance companies. You know, a lot of doctors in the practice spend most of their time just trying to figure out how to get paid through these very complex systems. And it's not sustainable. And this is really why we see some private practice go down. So direct primary care offers awesome primary care without dealing with the insurance companies. And when I learned about that, I'm like, you know what, it's time. It's clear that our system is not working. It was literally failed in my community. And if I'm going to continue to deliver great care to my community, I have to do it differently. So that's how I got to my direct primary care practice. Wow. What a journey. You brought up a couple really significant parts of this journey. I'm going to talk about, I'm going to bring up the, the closure of the two hospitals and clinics. Mm -hmm. I think 
it's really what's challenging, especially in luck. And the great news, I mean, you're Atlanta, so it's like a larger, more populous area. And so, um, but what's really interesting is that the moment that a hospital or a clinic shuts down, those patients actually need to go someplace else, right? right. And when other hospital systems are already overwhelmed and you have these other systems closed down, the extra patients have to go somewhere. And so it already it automatically overloads an already stressed healthcare system. And I like how you use the word collapse because that's exactly what I'm seeing nowadays, especially, I mean, all throughout the, the country, which is interesting. And listeners, what's really interesting is that now at, at this point in time, when it comes to uh, just navigating the, the healthcare system, we have three, um, three silos. I like to call them like we have the payers, we have the providers, aka the service, the, the care that the providers are providing. And then we have you, the patients. And what's really interesting is that every other industry, there's often just the service and the people who are actually receiving the service. So when you add that third layer, it can make things uh, challenging because obviously there's a large, large portion of administrative work. But then the second part is what Dr. Cook was talking about when, when it comes to the insurance realm, what ends up happening is you'll see that there's declining reimbursement rates. And as a result, insurance-based clinicians have to see more patients in order for them to keep the lights on and keep the clinic running. And we only have 24 hours in a day. And so we can't treat 24 seven because that would burn us out. But then also number two, it's like, how can we see more patients to be able to make ends meet from a financial standpoint? And that's where you start to see shorter appointment times and really just everyone gets stressed out because of the fact that the payment itself is starting to decline. So I, I really appreciate you, Dr. Cook, sharing that journey because it's definitely something that unless you're a, a provider, you're not necessarily aware of as a patient in the system. And you really, as a patient, you suffer because you're going to see an overworked clinician. And if an overworked clinician misses a detail, that could be that that can make a ton of changes. So, so um you all so let's talk about primary care itself. I, I do want to respond to something you just said because I think you broke that down really beautifully and highlighted like what the major problem with the way we're running healthcare in this country is. But you said there are three silos. You said the um the providers, the patient, and the payers. And I want to change the language there because we are the payers, we meaning patients. So we are the payers. We pay for the system with our wages, you know, it comes out of our paycheck. We have lost money in terms of wage growth in the country. We stagnated. Why? Because employers have to pay healthcare costs. And it's about 30% in some industries of what of, um, of running a business is paying healthcare costs. So we're all paying for this system. I don't like to call them payers. I kind of like to call them the, the middlemen or the third party that's kind of in here muddling things, you know, so they're not really paying. They're taking our money and deciding how it gets paid. But no, we are the payers. And so it's important for us to remember that we have the power the system and if it's not working it is our money and we could choose to use it differently i love that thank you for that clarification i love and now it shifts the power into us right the patients right. who are receiving care so when it comes to receiving care uh there's obviously a lot of different concentrations of healthcare, especially with uh with you as a physician so tell us a little bit more and know that you wanted to get into family medicine uh Family medicine and primary care, is that something that often gets used interchangeably? Can you tell us a little bit more about that? It can be used interchangeably, but it's not always interchangeably. So I would say that all family physicians have been trained in primary care, but not all primary care physicians are family physicians. So family physicians can do primary care. Some of them do hospital-based care. 
Some of them do procedure-based care. So we can look like a lot of different things, but I really think the heart and soul of family medicine is primary care. And as primary care, you are the primary physician for a patient. You are that gatekeeper. You are their point of contact to navigate and help help them achieve their best health. So that's your first stop when anything's going on. It's your first stop for things like your annual physicals to get a basic checkup. It's your first stop if something's not feeling well. So I hurt my elbow or I have a cold or, you know, even if I'm dealing with things like depression, your family doctor is that first point of contact in the healthcare system. And for many people, it may only ever be their only point of contact. So if you're doing a great job as a family physician and we have a system that really promotes and supports primary care, most people never have to go beyond primary care for the majority of their healthcare needs. Amazing. Yeah. I, I really like your the use of gatekeeper. And that, that was my interpretation in regards to uh, the primary care model. So we have primary care. And then I would say I only I've been observed, only I've noticed this probably within the past year or two, but the pri- direct primary care movement. Can you tell us a little bit more about that and what's traditional? I thought you'd never ask. So direct primary care is amazing. So, I mean, it is still primary care at the heart. That's exactly what it is. Direct is referring to the payment model. So we led this up by talking about being the payers, meaning the third party and insurance companies who are involved in direct primary care. They are cut out. So the patient contracts directly with their physician. That's where the direct comes from. There's no third party that's mediating the relationship between the patient and the doctor. So you get primary care, but you do it directly without having to involve these third parties. Amazing. And I'm glad that we are able to differentiate because people will see primary care versus direct primary care. And I remember early on in my journey of understanding this, I was having a hard time of trying to figure out what that meant. And so I really appreciate it because yeah, we cut out that middleman when they're, we cut out the middleman. I know that even just being a patient myself, using my insurance, having to go through pre-authorizations to get various different procedures done, that automatically adds a few weeks before I actually need even get the procedure done. So being able to have that direct payment system, um, it allows us to actually access care the, uh, at the speed that we want to. Exactly, exactly. And I want to carry on to that. In direct primary care, the way most direct primary care practices work is that we charge some type of periodic membership fee. For most of us, it's a monthly membership fee. For other offices, it might be quarterly or annually, but you have a membership fee and that gets you access to all the services that your physician provides. So when people call my office and say, hey, do you take my insurance? I tell them, you know, I don't take any form of insurance. So the great thing about it is that anyone can join. So regardless of whether you have insurance, or not, your form of access in the office is your monthly membership fee. So I love it that I don't, I don't have to turn anybody away. You know, so if you have whatever plan you have, you can use that for your outside services. Or if you have no plan, you can still get access to exceptional care. This episode is brought to you by the Patient Advocate Program. Are you tired of not having support between your rehab sessions? Introducing the Patient Advocate Program, we're focused on your recovery and we're offering you 24-7 access to a doctorate of physical therapy. Stop waiting in line to be seen and stop spending hours doing long exercise programs. Imagine being able to get all of your care delivered straight to your phone. Best of all, it's affordable. We believe everyone deserves top-notch relief without breaking the bank. So why wait? Take control of your health today and visit PT Patient Advocate advocate.com and book your free call with our experts. And that's great because of the fact that I think, um, I just know for the state of California, um, I think one of the statistics that I came across is that at least one in three Californians are either uninsured or underinsured, which right. means that their, their access to the doctors that they need is probably going to be a lot less 
because of the fact that they're the providers that they need to go aren't taking their insurance, right? And all of a sudden, right. like here you have a patient who's paying for their insurance premium, but then also has to be hit with a big bill because the physician that or the provider that they wanted to go to either didn't take that insurance or um, took the insurance, but then had to make up for the the lost cost of that. So exactly. I, I really appreciate that. Exactly. Um, We're seeing so much of that in um, primary care. And that's where direct primary care is exceptional, that we believe in price transparency. And really nowhere else in medicine do you see that right now. So when you talked about being hit with all these surprise fees, you know, patients are so confused and, and they have every right to be because they pay these very expensive premiums. And they still have out-of-pocket costs, especially if you have a high deductible plan. So you're still paying and paying and paying. And you're like, so where does this insurance kick in? And not only are we seeing surprise fees come up, we're starting to see these really ridiculous fees. My favorite right now are facility fees, meaning that if your doctor works for a large health system and you see them at that hospital, like in that facility, they're going to charge a huge premium just for seeing them there. So with the same doctor, same visit, if they see you in the hospital versus one of their outpatient clinics that's away from the hospital, it could be two vastly different prices. So we're getting charged for things that just don't even make sense and really don't add value to your care. And to compound that, just the you know to compound the the financial side of things in in the old insurance based traditional model, you're also having to navigate the sicknesses that you're dealing with, and also the pain. And so having to be in pain or or sick, and then have to question, well, how much is this going to cost me? It ends up being it, it ends up making the recovery process uh, a lot more challenging, and and it could draw it out. I met so many people who booked calls or wanted to work with me and just here in their journey of just i've spent thousands and thousands of dollars on just trying to fix this problem and this still isn't helping and not only is it the the money that they had to, to invest but it's also the time that they had to invest to even just mm -hmm. fix this problem and so people are at a point where no one ever wants to get sick and no one ever wants to get hurt yet they're being hit with these crazy fees when it comes to just managing something that they never wanted in the first place. Exactly. So I, yeah. And I really appreciate everything that you do. So let's talk about a little bit more about primary care. And also, you know, you said that you were the, the gatekeeper, right? You're the first mm -hmm. line of defense when it comes to managing issues. And so what we're looking at is like, let's talk about the world of sciatica pain, which is the majority of the listeners right now. You know, when a patient comes in and you're, and, and the, the chart or, or the notes say, okay, back pain and leg pain. And you're usually the first person to go to because in some cases, before patients need to get physical therapy, before patients go to physical therapy, their insurance plan actually says they need to go to a primary care physician first to get a referral or even get sent to, to another specialist. So I know that was kind of like the, the most common uh, journey that, that patients were going on. Um, through this entire process where someone's like, okay, I'm experiencing back and leg pain. Um, a question for you is like, as a direct primary care provider, like, are you the one making the prime diagnosis in that scenario? Or is it, tell us a little bit more about like when a patient goes, like has that experience or pain and comes to you for help. Absolutely. So I usually am the one making that primary diagnosis because it's, it's usually a pretty clear cut diagnosis. So if they have that back pain that radiates down the leg, um, you know, that's pretty much sciatica until proven otherwise. So I usually am the first one making that diagnosis. 
And the, the hard thing about sciatica patients is you never know which direction they're going to go. Now, some people that have an episode of sciatica and they get out of it within a couple of days. I have other people that last much longer and it can take months to get out of it and like lots of physical therapy. And then I have others that may ultimately require surgery to help resolve their issue. So when that comes to the door, there, there's a lot of things, a lot of different directions you can go. And that's why it's helpful to have a primary care to help you navigate that depending on what your sciatica looks like. 100%. And so if the goal with this podcast is to go a little bit uh, more beyond say like what Dr. Google is and oftentimes what you would. It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips because what's lunch without a little crunch and the sandwich choice is all yours like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT and more made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply. See, it's like, okay, I have back and leg pain. What do I expect uh, when I go to the doctor? They'll say, oh, you're going to go to like a typical routine examination. But what I've noticed is that every doctor, every provider is different in regards to what they look at and the mm -hmm. tool use actually help them determine what the what the diagnosis is. So what like when a patient is actually presenting with back and rating leg pain, what are some of the tests that that you do or you try to do uh, in your office to get a better idea uh, or help you reach that decision that diagnosis? In primary care, the two most important things we do is take a patient history and do a physical exam. And with my sciatica patients, that's usually sufficient for me to be able to come to the diagnosis. So between those two things, based on what the patient's telling me, um, how they got their pain, how they describe their pain, the quality of the pain, I examine them, you know, um, palpate the back, straight leg raise, checking reflexes, all those can help lead me to the diagnosis of sciatica. Usually if I'm involving other modalities like imaging, it's because it's not improving the way I would expect it to. And I'm trying to rule out other causes, but usually between history and physical, I can make an accurate diagnosis. And I, I would it be safe to assume that when you transition into your direct primary care model, that you can spend a little bit more time asking the questions that you need to ask to get the, the necessary information to uh, determine the diagnosis? Absolutely. So most of almost all of my visits are at least 60 minutes. So sometimes you don't need all that time, but it's always available. So we can really dive deeply into it. But I think the greater value even behind have, or at least for something for sciatica, but multiple issues is not so much the length of the visit, which which matters. It's the ability to follow up. So I have a lot of patients um, or patients who've come to me and they've, they've had a diagnosis of sciatica. They've gone to urgent care. They see that doctor one time, you're like, okay, I'll pay my urgent care fee. But then a week later, they're not better and they need more guidance. And they don't want to keep going back to urgent care to keep paying this fee over and over and over again. Whereas if you join my direct primary care practice, all of your care is in that monthly membership fee. You can call me every day if you want to. <laughs> so next week when it's not better, you're not worried about, oh my gosh, I got to pay again to see the doctor. Or, How do I get more answers? Or, oh, my symptoms are changing. Like you're connected, you're plugged in and you're not thinking about the dollar sign, you know, or about the cash that you're spending for this because you've already budgeted for that. So I think the beauty is the ability to follow up, to follow up in ways that are helpful to the patient, like text messaging or leaving a portal message. Like you don't always have to come into the office if something's changing. I think that's often gets overlooked is the, the follow-up. And I often tell the clients that I work with, I'll say, listen, the magic isn't 
always in the session that we have together. The magic actually happens outside because when we're interacting with someone, even like this podcast right now, we're interacting within a specific moment in time. And an hour is only about 4% of a 24 hour day. Mm-hmm. So, and I see this a lot in the physical therapy world where patients will see their providers maybe two to three times a week. And oftentimes they'll go go through their session, they'll feel great, but then they're going to feel terrible between sessions. And then mm-hmm. all the, so much information that they have to bring to the physical therapist where it becomes challenging. It ends up being kind of like information overload for the, for the provider because there's so much information. And right. that's where I think it is important. I am 100% in agreement with you. The follow-up allows us to be able to get some real-time information, but then also it allows us to make the modifications or changes that are necessary. So Exactly. Let's talk about the, you know, you're the gatekeeper. You're the person who helps uh, navigate. You're the captain of the team in regards mm-hmm. to providers. Now, there are uh, orthopedists, spine doctors, PM&R, spinal interventionalists. There's so many different concentrations of medicine. So when it comes to referring out to a specialist, in terms of sciatica, what are some of the qualities or characteristics that you look for slash observe that helps you determine which specialty should you be referring out to? Absolutely. So for sciatica, almost always, I I would like to involve physical therapy. Um, Really just for all things, just primary care. As a country, we don't move well. We don't move enough. Like all of us, even if we're not hurting, probably need some physical therapy. But particularly for my sciatica patients, I really like to involve physical therapy early and option early and often. When I'm referring to other specialists like PM&R or ortho, it's usually because I think that my patient has some red flag symptoms that I can't ignore. So could this be an, an acute herniation that might need surgical intervention and may not resolve by other conservative methods? So if they come with like red flag symptoms, like they're really not able to walk or you know they've lost tone in their legs or something that just seems a lot more concerning to me, that's what I'm going to involve some of those other specialties. I'm glad that you shared that. I think a lot of oftentimes patients, when they are experiencing this pain, they might not necessarily think, oh, I should go to my primary care doctor first before, or it's, they're often told that they're often told by the insurance that they have to go through their primary care. And so having the opportunity to be able to understand, okay, this is how primary care can serve and how can serve the gatekeeper um, can be extremely impactful. Now, when it comes to, I'm, I'm so glad that you've been able to spend about 60 minutes for mm-hmm. your encounters. Unfortunately, not everyone is going to be able to have that luxury, right? And so when it comes to, for the patients who don't say, who aren't a part of the direct primary care system, and they only have about 15 to 20 minutes with their provider, tell us a little bit more about what are some of the best ways that, or action steps that they can follow to actually maximize that time uh, with their provider. Um, Yeah, tell us a little bit more about that. Gosh, I, I I hate the question only because like my first thought is you need to go see a prime a direct primary care provider, right? I just I hate how anyone's healthcare can get boiled down into 15 minutes. The most important thing about our about our lives is our healthcare. If we don't have our health, we're not alive, we're not here. Like that's a problem. So to have to boil it down is just horrible to me. However, I know that that's the reality for most people. I would say if you're going to see a, a provider physician and you have sciatic or some concern try to limit your visit to just that one concern. That's really difficult. Um, a lot of people come in, they've waited months for an appointment, you know, if, and here in the Atlanta area, 
to see a new doctor could take you three to six months, sometimes even up to a year. So by the time you get to that visit, you've got 12 things on your mind that you want to address. And, you know, people come in with their list. And when I was in the insurance-based world, I hated the list because I knew I didn't have time to get through your list. But if you come in and say, here's my one problem, we're only going to talk about this problem. It really allows the doctor to kind of focus in, do a good exam, ask the appropriate questions and come up with a plan for that problem. And then for anything else, you may need to make a follow-up appointment for that. So I would say like, if that's your primary concern, you've got to limit it to one concern if you only have 15 minutes. By the time you start saying, oh yes, I have the sciatica pain and um, you know, my, again, my elbow hurts or my vision's blurry, like whatever the doctor thinks is the most important is what's going to take priority. And we're going to pretty much ignore the other things because there's no time for it. So I would say just prioritize that one issue and have the doctor focus only on that issue. I really appreciate that. Yeah. Being able to go and say, here's the problem. In some cases, I've actually helped talk with patients, prospective patients when I'm saying, okay, I think you need to go speak with your primary care doctor or any one of these physicians that you're going to. In some cases, I'll actually help them boil their story or their situation down into a very concise story so they can provide yeah. their providers. Because I, I know you're absolutely right. Like I I I, ha I hated asking that question, but I know that question is very necessary. <laughs> a lot of patients have that. And uh, what's really interesting is I, I actually had that uh, an encounter like that um, as a patient myself. I had a, a couple bad allergic reactions and I, with this actually via telehealth and was giving the whole rundown because me being a medical provider, I feel like I do provide a pretty good history. And, mm -hmm. uh, and I, it was a 15 minute visit and I was going through and the physician on the other end actually stopped me and said, we only have 15 minutes. So get to the point. And I just, I was like, I was shocked yeah. about that. I mean, luckily, like what I was dealing with was pretty minor, but yeah, it is important to be able to focus on one specific problem. And then um, I know for myself, when I'm discussing with the patients on how to communicate it with their physician, I'll say, write this stuff down in regards to like a story and have a specific timeline um, and, and, and really share with that. I'm so amazed by the, your knowledge, the, the uh, physicians like yourself have, you, you know, so much, and you're also able to achieve a diagnosis and answers in such a fast period of time. So many kudos to you. And I really appreciate that. Stick with one problem. And then once we solve that problem, we move on to other different aspects of, of your health and, and everything else that we need to address. Absolutely. And I'll respond to that. Like if for, for other things to help boil it down with the story, one of the things that we're taught in medical school, and hopefully I don't get this acronym wrong, you probably know it too, but the PQRST and um, the A's that follow that. So PQRST stands for P, like position, like where is the pain? Q is quality. And when I tell patients about quality, say like, what does it feel like? And I'll use some, some, um, some adjectives like, is it burning? Is it pressure? Is it tingling? Is it dull? Is it achy? Like, you know, how would you describe the quality of this pain? Um, R is for radiating, meaning does it go from one place to the next? So with sciatica, typically starts in the low back or the buttock area and shoots all the way down the legs. So if your pain is radiating, that gives us information. Um, S is what? <laughs> Severity. You know, so how severe is this problem? Like on a scale of one to 10, where does that hit you? And then T is for timing. So timing would be a couple of different things like onset. When did it start? Has it been going on? 
for a couple of years, couple of months, and this start last Tuesday. The other thing about timing is like, when does it happen? So does it only happen upon standing or when I'm laying down? So if you can get those, um, those points out to your physician, that's going to help a lot. That's kind of the way that we think about, especially acute pain problems. And then the A's after that are aggravating or alleviating symptoms. So what aggravates it? You know, every time I roll over my left, it gets worse. Or every time it's cold outside, it gets worse. Alleviating. When I use a heat pad, it feels great. If I take Tylenol, it goes a little bit better. If I put my leg like this, it feels better. So if we know what, what makes it better and worse, that also helps lead us to the diagnosis. So if you do nothing else, if you are able to write it down and follow that, that acronym, that can help your physician kind of get to the problem a lot faster. Listeners, this is a very similar process that I take my patients and clients through when it comes to managing their pain. But it's also, if you're a longtime listener, what Dr. Cook has just shared are very common characteristics and questions that I actually bring up. Uh, or recommend that you look into as well. So I'm so glad that Dr. Cook was able to bring that up. Thank you for, for that. It's, it's impactful. Um, and so what, in regards to, I mean, Dr. Cook, you help a lot of people, you provide a service and a level of care that is often not being provided anywhere else or in the rest of the medical system. So I'm so thankful that you are providing the care that you do for the listeners who are, in a binder and are looking to have a primary care or looking to transition into direct primary care, what is the best way to get in touch with you to work with you um, and, and get the healing powers, uh, receive the healing powers? I love it. I love it. So we're in early 2024. Um, and so I say that because at this point, I'm still taking new patients. I, I think by, before the end of the year, I probably will have to close my panel. So that's something I do want to kind of put some urgency out there for people who are looking for great primary care. I have a lot of people that sit on this and think about it. But with direct primary care physicians, because we always want to be available, because we want these longer appointments, we limit our panels. That means we only accept so many patients. And to give you an idea of what that limitation is, is when I was in insurance-based care, I, I had a, over 3,000 patients that were assigned to me, which is ridiculous. I, I couldn't get it. I didn't know if I had 3,000 visits per year, <laughs> but like people couldn't get in because I had so many patients who called me their primary care. Under this new model, I'm stopping at about 250 to 300. That's only 10% of what I had before. So as much as I want to be available to the whole community, I'm not going to be available to the whole community. And that's true for a lot of other primary care doctors. So I say that to give you a little, little urgency. Now, the other cool thing about direct primary care doctors is that um, a lot of us have invested in our practice, right? You know, I use my own money to get started. This is my baby. Like I'm invested, which means that I'm going to in it for the long haul. A lot of doctors are kind of like athletes or NBA players. Like we get traded to the best team. So a lot of people, you know, they see their doctor and all of a sudden they're gone and they're at some other health system and they can't find them. So doctors hop around a lot if they have, if they don't have skin in the game with their own practice. So if you have an employed physician, there's a high likelihood that they're not going to be there beyond three to five years. So with a direct primary care, you know, I put my office in my community. I want to, you know, live where I work. Um, I want to be here for the long haul. So I'm, I'm in this for the long run. So I say all that to say to find a direct primary care um, practice quickly, join them soon because our panels are going to be closing um, and they're likely to stick around for you. But if you are in Atlanta, I am in Southwest Atlanta. I'm the first direct primary care practice in my community. The name of my practice is Soul Direct Primary Care, S-O-L, which is the Spanish word for son. And I was a Spanish major in college, believe it or not. Um, I did pre-med as well, of course, but I was a Spanish major in college. And I just love, you know, my nod to learning language. I think it's helped me so much with communication and the way I communicate with my patients. I love the imagery of the sun. 
spreading healing light and um, heat around the community. So I just love all of that, being able to incorporate a lot of the things I'm passionate about into, into the practice. So we're Soul Direct Primary Care, sol-dpc.org. So you can look us up online. Um, you can also find me on LinkedIn. You can find me on social media. Um, I have a page for myself, Dr. Michelle Cook, and for Soul Direct Primary Care. Amazing. Listeners, if you did not get a chance to write that down. I'm actually going to be putting all that information into the show notes. So if you're in need of Dr. Cook's help, reach out and say hi. Dr. Cook, thank you so much for sharing the uh, shining a lens on direct primary care and helping us navigate the healthcare system. It is absolutely my pleasure. And I want to thank your listeners for tuning in. You all have really heard it first. So while this movement is growing, it's still pretty early and not everyone has heard from about primary care. So you have a head start. <laughs> so go ahead and get yourself a, primary, a direct primary care physician so we can lock in your primary care. Thank you so much for tuning in. We hope you got some help from today's podcast. And for more info, check us out at ifixyoursciatica.com. Have a fantastic and pain-free day. No patient-therapist relationship is formed by listening to this podcast. We are not providing medical advice, and all information should be confirmed by a medical provider. It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply.